Hello there, welcome to Poet Waffle episode 6 with me, Daniel Cockrell, where I invite a poet round my house for a chat. And during that chat, we try to explore the visceral space between fact and fiction, which I believe is more of a feeling where poets use their emotions to navigate the world and hopefully reveal certain truths that are neglected by those other fields. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome into my shed poet, lecturer in poetry and creative writing, autodidact, uh, host of London's premier open mic, podcaster as well, uh, Nilo Sullivan. Hello. Hello, yeah. how are you doing? I'm very well. I really love your, 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 your office here. It's amazing. It's a really lovely space. I know, very lucky, very yeah. lucky. But um, I suppose where I want to start, this is episode six of Poet Waffle. Mm-hmm. And um, probably you're the first poet that I've had in, I could actually call a poet, if I was to introduce you at a party, mm-hmm. I think I'd get the label right if I say, oh, this is Nilo Sullivan Poet. Would you agree with that or...? I hate to sound like a contrarian again. I think, no, I've written a lot of poetry right. in my life. So I, I qualify as a poet. Yeah. Um, and a lot of what I do is based around poetry. Um, I feel like a little bit of a fraud at the moment because I'm not writing a lot of poetry at the moment. Right. But I, I guess I'm still a poet. Why not? Yeah. What would, yeah. You, if you had to say what you, what was the, what's the thing that comes top of your list then if you were introducing yourself or, oh. or you just list all those things as... This is going to sound really pretentious. Yeah, good. <laughs> but um, in a kind of trying to look really simple about things type way. But I, I often just say I write and I talk. Right, yeah. And well, that's... which is similar to what everyone else has said. On, on the, so that we started out with Rob Alton in episode one, and that's exactly what he said. I write things down, I say them out loud. And yeah. I, maybe that's what we all are. Maybe that's the guests I'm getting in. Uh, the writer of stuff and uh, but I suppose one of the things I really love about what you do um, is you take or you have taken uh, forms that are not fashionable in poetry for example the sonnet and you put a modern spin on it and you use you know you, you use your language you use modern themes and you get your sense of humour across in them and it if, if I look at the poetry world as a, a big garden, you know, in the middle at the moment, in the, the big big fountain is spoken word, mm-hmm. and around it is still the, you know, the pretentious poetry book world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the sonnets are sort of hidden at the back of the garden now. Well, at one time, they would have been the centrepiece. Uh, there's no question in this. Is that... Is that mm. um, that's what I like, what, what you do. What is it something that you want to explore more uh, because you do it on your podcast as well and right um the sonnets i mean yeah it depends where we are in the poetry world if we're in the sort of performance poetry spoken word world world, to use that illegal phrase performance poetry for a second but then i guess a sonnet isn't a big thing people don't seem to fit people think of a sonnet as something literary and therefore it's something more in the literary world. I think in the literary world, the sonnet is is it's always popping its face back up to sort of say, yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't think you can get rid of sonnets that easily. So, for instance, you've got obviously obvious example of 
mainstream poets that write lots of sonnets, Don Patterson would be one of them. Yeah. Whereas in America, I think you've got Terence Hayes. Right. He did a sort of a Amer- um, American sonnets for my future assassin. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, which yeah. Are a bunch yeah, of exactly. unrhymed sonnets. Yeah, yeah. So we keep going back to the sonnet. And I think that there is, I think you're absolutely right, but it's, you don't, when you go to see a spoken word or a performance poetry or whatever show, you don't get exposed to many of the old forms yeah. or the, the fixed forms as we call them. And it's a shame in a way because I think sonnets are pretty much made for performance. Right. They are made to be read, but I think they can be, their origins, they're a courtly form. So they were, I'm pretty yeah. sure, publicly presented. Yeah. And they were publicly presented in a way that would confer, if they were successful, it would confer great benefits to people's careers and their livelihoods if they showed themselves to be a, a good writer of sonnets. So it's it has even while it's not quite a sort of a, a people's art form like the ballad. Yeah. Um, the roots of the sonnet are pretty much within aristocratic circles, but they were still something that was about taking a form that was that it, it takes about a minute to read a sonnet out well. Right. Whenever I've heard someone read a sonnet out pretty well, it's normally around about a minute. If it's faster than that, you've read it too fast. And so there's something about that little chunk of time where you have to put in an emotion or a thought or an idea and drop it in. It's just about right. So, you know, is it is it the original three minute pop song? Because it fitted on the radio. Is that what it is? That why it works so well? I think you're absolutely right. I think there's something I think that definitely has that thing. But it's so concise. Yeah, it's so I mean, on a page, Don Patterson calls it a wee square poem. Right, yeah, and, and that's it does look, yeah, exactly. It yeah. looks like that, doesn't it? And and sort of follows it by saying it's a box to place your dreams, mm. and and so there's something about that conciseness of the sonnet. Even the way the sonnet normally has a turn part of the way through, so there's normally a shift in emphasis. Normally, after traditionally after about eight lines, and then before you embark on the final six lines, there's a turn, and people point out that actually. The dimensions are like the Fibonacci numbers and the golden ratio in art. Right. And so everything seems to be natural. Everything seems to come from something that's a bit more innate. So while the sonnet is quite is obviously artificial, it's a form, and it is to a certain degree saying your line should be this long with this yeah. many stresses, the words at the end of each line should sound the same as each other in this particular order, and it should be this amount of lines. As artificial as it is, the artifice seems to come from a basis in nature. Yeah, but also I think, do we probably, as English speakers, speaking beat, you know, I know it's 10 mm. beats, but it's, we tend to speak in nine, if I say a sentence, I spend, I tend to speak in nine, 10, 11 beats as mm. a sentence, naturally, without maybe mm. a haiku, the Japanese may be speaking beats of five or seven, do they? I don't know. Haiku is a syllabic form. Listen to me, I'm off on one now, aren't I? <laughs> so haiku is a syllabic form, which is why it fits Japanese quite well, because it's more of a syllabic language. So if you listen to a haiku being read by a Japanese person in Japanese, the syllables are important because you can really, I don't know this for definite, but from what I know, you can hear the individual syllables. Right. When you hear um, a line of poetry in English, the English language is a stressed language, so it's for stresses. So we have the beats. So iambic pentameter, for instance, is... People always think of it as ten syllables, but really it's five beats. beats yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of be bar, be bar, be bar, be bar, be bar. Shall I compare be two or some as day? You hear what? A, so that's what you hear. You can't really hear the syllables as much as you hear the stresses. Um, so it's different to haiku in that sense. That's why a lot of haiku in English, the stuff that wins the haiku competitions in Japan, yeah, the gaijin entries 
the English haiku tend to not stick to the syllabic rules, but stick more to other rules of haiku, such as sticking to a seasonal word, yeah, 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 having two yeah. images that are kind of put against each other to create a kind of tension. Yeah, yeah. And so it's not a 17-syllable aphorism, which is what most people writing haiku in English seem to think it is. It's yeah, a yeah, yeah. specific sort of tone and a mood and the subject matter that you find in a haiku. And to the Japanese, when haiku are written in English, that's more important yeah. than syllables. I suppose what I um, when we're talking about you know why uh, you know um, sonnets become unfashionable mm-hmm. um, form or the way that people do so you know spoken word now is very fashionable so there's lots of young people doing the same three minute thing yeah. on stage but every so every two or three years I'd probably get a journalist contact me to say um, that's a poetry boom. It's a poetry boom, it, yeah. and the words are, is poetry the new rock and roll? Yeah. That's the headline. Uh, but I am always always feel it's the other way around. It's that rock and roll was probably the new poetry, and that mm. poetry's always been around, and we don't really have to take care of it. It kind of takes care of itself. And even the de-dum-de-dum-de-dum, I think if there was before words were, you know, Neanderthal man ugging that out anyway, <laughs> probably. And uh, so if you, if you take poetry as a... Uh, as a wide, you know, as a broadest church as you can, I, I think it takes care of itself and the forms that come popular at that time, just because that's how people are experiencing yeah. stuff. You know, the Instagram poetry, it's popular with mass yes. because people are reading it in a certain way. There's something quite, you know, like how punk really was just a return to the pop song, mm. really ultimate. Mm. It's like, uh, there was progressive rock. Whereas these like sort of twenty minute songs now with these yeah, massive yeah. changes and they're trying to write the equivalent of a, a rock and roll version of I don't know sort of Beethoven yeah, or exactly, something. Yeah, yeah. And then punk was just all about ultimately it was just about no let's just have like verse chorus verse chorus little bit of music another chorus done. I miss those days of the kick ass fifteen minute set and yeah. the, the, that's what everyone's doing. And um, see, I come from the expectations now of all of audience and young performers is quite high you know mm. it has to there is to, there has to be you know, a certain amount of money they're going to get paid the show has to be a certain type of show that mm. the 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 themes are going to be um you know on trend you know you can't just get up there and do a two-line poem about a caterpillar that's mm. silly and funny yeah. um because it's seen as oh that's kind of frivolous especially when we're in these very you know serious times mm. um when, and I came from the only sort of art we had growing up. So we didn't have video recorders. We didn't have uh, cinema nearby. We didn't have books on our shelves. But what we did have was the leftovers of pub rock and punk. You know, mm. so Doctor Fe- the, Fe- the ripples of Dr. Feelgood were in the pubs around me. Mm. So, and our dads used to drink. So they would go to the pub and there would probably be a pub rock band playing some blues on there. Mm. Pretty badly some of the time. It's more, <laughs> you know, Brian Adams than it is... You know, Doctor Phil, but then you'd see Wilco Johnson and these other people. They would turn up at these pubs and do these things. So the what the that energy that they produced is what I wanted from poetry. Mm. When I, I'd go and see, I'd like poetry. I'd go and see poetry. So I'd go, oh, it's missing something for me because I'm. I just want to get on there and have a really fast energy. You know, and I want the audience to be up, and mm. that's why we did Banks of the Gum. But that was because that was the only. Th- 
art I'd experienced and we tried to do it in a poetry way. Mm. I'd always written poetry, but I was excited about it because I didn't know anything about it. So I, I literally could go, right, what are we going to do? I will just do this mm. and see what happens. Mm. And yes, you could hear the sneers from some of the people who yeah. knew about poetry. But there was a lot of people who were with us who would go, we don't know anything about poetry either. And this is fantastic. Do and I've learned along the way, you know. Do you know what I'm trying to get back to yeah. after all these years, after having kind of moments of success? I can look back and go, yeah, I was yeah. quite successful then. Yeah. <laughs> I was successful then. You could do a freeze frame and go, he's quite successful. And I'm not successful now, which is fine. I define success in that objective. How many people like your stuff? Yeah. How many people are booking you for whatever? I don't, I'm not going to go into this. It's how you feel inside about yourself and stuff when you're creating your work. But at the same time, I look back on when I was happiest right. as a creator yeah. and as an artist. And I was at my bloody happiest when I started out in some ways. Yeah. And I was doing open mics and I was just out there with a, with a spade yeah. somewhere up a hill, yeah, planting yeah. a beach hedge, yeah. mumbling to myself the thing that I'd frantically bashed out on a typewriter a couple of nights before. And I had this circadian rhythm, as we call it, this little cycle. I'd write something, I would dig and cut and yeah. hack yeah. and recite the thing under my breath and louder and then I would turn up at sometimes the poetry cafe sometimes this open mic in Hammersmith a couple of ha open mics in Hammersmith I went to and I would just deliver that thing to the world yeah. and the next day I'd be writing again yeah. and two days after that I would be boom 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 mumbling to myself like a madman yeah. and there was something about that process yeah. that made me so alive yeah. and I'm trying to get back to that now that's the most important thing I've I've because I did a photography degree and a master's degree, I purposely, when I got into poetry, I purposely have avoided workshops, uh, doing things, because I didn't mm. want to go back there. Because I loved, uh, the same as you, I loved that excitement of, mm. uh, um, you know, just, as you say, waking up in the middle of the night, scribbling stuff down. Mm. That I look at now and think, what was it? But it was <laughs> exciting. And it still is. I still have a real excitement for words. Just because I don't think we had words when we were younger. So when I discovered them, they're still really precious to me in a way that I, oh, I can use this. Whereas I think if I knew, if I had done my English literature degree and I'd learned mm. about, I think I would cut out lots of stuff that I wouldn't recognise. And I love art for in general. I want to experience on the same way that I talk about football or I talk about pop music or I talk about going to a restaurant. I want to, that's how I want to experience art mm. and poetry. And I do, generally. And, and the potential, I love the pretentiousness of some of it, but I tend to move away from that academic flowery language mm. because I, I think, well, I could go there and learn something. But I love, I do kind of love it here in the, in the dirt. Yeah, you know, yeah, where yeah. it's swampy. There is something about a, a live audience and having that immediate relationship with them and having that as part of the feedback loop. And it doesn't even matter. Sometimes the audience don't like what you do, but it's fine. You've got your process to fall back on. Yeah, It's always great when you do create something and everyone goes, that's brilliant, that's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. like, you know, one person goes, no, it's not. But yeah, be, yeah. And you end up listening to that one person. <laughs> not a not hundred people saying it's great. The one what? person like giving you daggers at a gig. Everyone else is like yeah. smiling at you. One person in the, in, the, in the middle of a crowd is like looking at you, like willing you to fail. And, yeah, and that's the guy you notice. Anyway. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, that. <laughs> so when I was at college and uh, uh, university studying photography, that, I, that really affected me. The, the, what the tutors said mm. and how damning they was of my work. Mm. And so I'd be putting balloons around 
photographs and wrapping frames up in mm. colourful paper and writing silly things on them. And they were like, this is not any good. This is not what you should be doing. And wow. this, this is the... And I, all I ended up doing was taking that idea and putting it into poetry. But except this time, I was like, well, I'm not going to listen to anyone else. Yeah. I'm just going to take take the balloons and the things I want to do and wrap them up in my poetry. And it, it's that's been a winning formula, not in terms of success, but in terms of really enjoying the work and what I do. And, and I hope other artists, that, you know, because I, I want that person who writes poems on balloons and sets them off or mm. does haikus constantly. I want them to exist and be able to exist. And not just be, oh, I can't earn a living out of this because, you know, I want them to, I don't want them to work in the bank. But I'd love the person who work, who does the day's work and then still does the, yeah. the poetry on the side. There's a lovely phrase William Blake said, the support, the fool who persists in his folly shall eventually become wise. Right. And I think that's the problem with that kind of teaching. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah, Don't do that. Yeah, it's like yeah. the teacher just can't see how that is a path. That might just be another path to where you, you know. Yeah. I've been so lucky to have seen so many people develop. So not just looking at yeah. my own development, but looking yeah. at the development of so many people. And there are so many people that are doing one particularly what I thought was stupid thing. And then the next moment, I don't know what it is, but something works in their work. Yeah. And and suddenly, I know that there are some people that just do something for years before yeah. they hit upon something. Yeah. And they and and they had to be hit in their head about at that particular wall making that same mistake yeah. again and again and again um I, th- I think it's so important in your development as an artist and a human being and yeah that's that's the difference between what a teacher does where a teacher's got a mindset which is oh we mm. want to get you to the end of this yeah yeah whatever and this grade so you we have to kind of rush your development or for you to kind of present this idea of yourself as a developing person as an artist and having this at the end of it Rather than it really being something like which is you, you you just find the find something you kind of enjoy yeah. doing every day or every other day that will drive you a little bit mad yeah. sometimes. But ultimately, that's the battle. That's the, if you get the process going, the it's art the will process. take care of itself. And I like yeah. watching the process more and seeing the process. Even with music, I like the I don't like the things that are all glossed over in the studio. Mm. I like the things where you can hear a bit of wood drop in the background or mm. someone's made it in their bedroom. The process of it is the, the thing. And I love watching the process of artists develop of what they're doing. I don't really care. I remember going to see a Flaming Lips. I probably mentioned this before. You know, they're quite successful, Flaming Lips. But everyone loves their snazzy show with all the balloons and all the lights. Mm. But when they did something different, people come out disappointed. And I was a bit like, well, what do you expect them to do? They've got to just do what they've got to do. Yeah, yeah, you know, you've yeah. got to let people fail. And I love the failures as much as I love the oh wow that was that blew everyone away mm. and I love it when someone no one likes it I'm like actually I love bits of it or there's something going on there or that failure is just as important as, yeah you have that sense of what they're going for and they don't quite yeah. get it yeah no, but, but it. The, the thing to enjoy sometimes is that glimpse of oh no they're trying to go in a new direction here yeah. and they haven't quite figured out in the time that they had yeah what it was and maybe next time they get it but, and normally in hindsight, it looks so important. The follies are the most important things. The yeah. follies, the massive mistakes, the failures are the most important things because that's what the growth Well, this happens. is probably a good yeah. segue into the part of the show we call the big question. So this is uh, the big question. 
And on previous shows, we've had things like what is the most valuable thing you have lost or should you be judged on the worst thing that you've ever done? Uh, and your big question, because uh, we are both dads, so mm. I should have thought about this question a lot more than I have. I haven't thought about it at all. <laughs> but the question you've gone for, Niall, is what's the most important thing to teach a child? Mm -hmm. Did you have any thoughts on it? or I, I'm going to cheat a little bit yeah, because on. I have two things. Yeah. But one of them isn't really something you can teach. Right. So I can mention two things, and I think one of them is something you can teach, but the other thing is something you can't teach. The thing you can't... So I would have said the most... more Probably the first thing we would say is creativity, imagination. Oh, okay. But that's yeah. the thing yeah. you don't teach. Right. You just give them the tools and get out of the way. Right, okay. There, that's what, So yeah, I don't yeah. have to include that, even though that's there, but it's an yeah, important yeah. part of my answer. Yeah. It's weird to hear an artist say this, but I think critical thinking... Oh, wow, okay. Critical thinking, because I think you do have to teach that. Right. And I think there's nothing more powerful than imagination and creativity, but coupled with critical thinking. Yeah. yeah. Critical thinking is just how you ask questions about the world. Yeah. It's not telling someone to stop using their imaginations. But critical thinking can, in one sense, be something that stops you getting dragged into some dodgy cult yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Or to, to waste your life trying to prove that, um, I don't know, uh, 9 11 was an inside job. That's a particular example that I had to deal with with my students recently. <laughs> and um, and so, but I think critical thinking, especially, look, we're seeing it now with um, Trump, Brexit, yeah. the media, the rise of the far right. I think this is just the uh, schools. We both, I've worked in school, I think you've worked in schools a lot more than I have, but we've all seen the same problems, which is where people often bring up, they share that. Um, isn't Robinson forgot the speech from Ted where a guy talks about creativity in school and about how sats have destroyed it? Oh, I know, yes. Yeah. Uh, Keith, yes, Robinson's his surname, yeah. Is yeah, it Keith yeah. Robinson, Kenneth Robinson? I think it's Ken, I think it's Ken. Ken, Ken. yes, it is Ken Robinson. So yes. it's a very funny, and I think he's absolutely right that the sats and stuff are, are choking creativity yeah. in schools. But I also think we're seeing the legacy of a, a lack of critical thinking. Yeah. And People might say critical thinking is anathema to poetry, but I would say maybe a certain view of poetry. But when you look at, read a lot of poets, even sonnet sequences, big ideas and critical thinking are happening all the time. But yeah. everyone from sort of Shelley and Keats to Pope to Shakespeare to whoever, the one, one particular distinctive thing about this poet is how they can philosophize and how they can think and how yeah. they can take an idea and approach it from different directions. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would say there's a from society today, imagination and critical thinking. But imagination is the thing where you just got to make sure you give your kids to stay out of their way and don't stifle it and give them the yeah. tools and let them get on with it. Critical thinking, I think you do need to kind of go more. It's weird. Yeah. I've never because I I hadn't thought about this question. I didn't know the answer to it. Yeah. Because I was thinking, oh, things like kindness and you know, <laughs> can you teach that? I don't know. But imagination, yes, I do give that, and I haven't realised, but I actually do stay out of the way. So when mm. Bill and Finn are drawing or making stuff, I just let them do it and get on with it. And they they when it's finished, I say that's you know fantastic. The critical thinking, I I actually hadn't come to that, but I will take that back and. You know, try to be more engaged with them with that. Yeah, but don't. I, the way you do it is again. It's a weird to get out of the way thing as well, which is it's kind of you encourage them to question things. Yeah. But then you don't necessarily give them the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you 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 ask them to kind of think through things. I've done a little bit of this in school. We did some philosophy with kids for a few different projects, yeah. and that's very much about getting the kids to just pass the stimulus around. Yeah. And they normally come up with their own questions. 
And then they answer their own questions by going around in a circle right, right. and giving their own answers. And they start saying, well, I disagree with Tim here yeah. when he said that the egg must come before the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the things that they chose because the chicken is needed to lay an egg. Yeah. And they start going through it. And then the one kid just suddenly goes, well, I don't know. I think the dinosaurs might have something to do with it. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Oh, but eggs before chickens. But So it's really interesting. But like, obviously you choose an open question and then you see how you can think through it but it's more about that process of asking different questions I've heard Michael Rosen talk about it as well because uh, he's a brilliant educationalist and um, the one thing he talks about his learning the best lesson that he ever had was when the teacher didn't know the answer and that everyone went away and discovered mm. for themselves and it's not about the teacher it's then about oh the love of learning and that's probably the thing isn't it if you if there's a correct answer then mm. you you're stop you're you're just heading in that one direction but there's lots of ways to get to that answer or there's lots of different answers and lots of different paths to it mm. that's a great way and i I, yeah. I suppose that's why i've still got enthusiasm for poetry because i'm just learning as i go i don't know too much or too little actually i'm sort of still on this boat rowing down the stream and yeah. going, oh, look at that, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, look at that. So, you know, and listening to your, you know, your rough, Rusty Soddits podcast, mm. that's teaching me loads of stuff that I don't know. And it's just like little nuggets of gold. I feel, oh, yeah, I love that. Oh, thanks for telling us that. And mm. I haven't, you know, I haven't gone, to, I could have gone to a lesson and learned it with you, but uh, I'm listening in my own time, picking and choosing the nuggets that I want to pluck out, which I probably, if I was a student, I would be, Asleep at the back, hungover. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the funny thing. I get so much the podcast. I've got, I've got some really, I've had some really nice feedback from and random people that just like in other countries and stuff who yeah, don't yeah. know who I am. Yeah, don't yeah. know what I do, and they just happened upon the podcast and they write me nice emails and stuff. And good, just about where are, where yeah. are you big? What countries are you big in on your podcast? I've, I don't know if I'm big, but there's kind of like there's obviously UK, then there's US. I'm not getting a massive hit, but the engagement, yeah. when I look at the actual engagement, so the amount of people that are listening to the entire thing, yeah. it's a big proportion of those hits. Yeah, yeah. And But um, I got a lovely email from the Czech Republic. There you go. The other week. Brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. But there's Korea. Yeah. I've got to say hello Egypt. to Kirk and S in Norway, because wow. they're, they're, uh, they're giving me loads of hits. And uh, Sydney in Australia, but I think that's all my wife's mates <laughs> <laughs> there's some there's some I've, I've had to change my kind of i've had to change my i've done a much more I, my original picture for my podcast was just my stupid face with my glasses on really close <laughs> up to there and i don't know why i did that i was just in a stupid mood yeah but i but i um i've made it a bit more just a little rusty sonnets logo well you don't but, realize anyone's going to listen yeah exactly because <laughs> someone else someone's i think one of my wife's friends has been listening to it yeah and and he said how it's weird that she just walked in wife walked in and uh his wife walked in, sorry, and um, said, what's going on? What's that? Why are you listening to Niall? <laughs> and then there's a picture of my face, like massive, what the hell's that? And, um, and so, it's so funny. Okay, oh, need, a lo- need a professional logo. Yeah. <laughs> but, listen, we've, we've, we're out of time. We've been yeah. talking. We've, we've covered some lovely topics. Um, you can, where can we find, what can we, so we can listen to Rusty Sonnets on the podcast. Where, where else can we find you? We can find you every Tuesday down at the Poetry Cafe. Uh, yep. at Poetry Unplugged yep anything else that we should mention uh, just go on my website when I'm yeah try, try to update it a fair bit nilosullivan.co.uk yeah. are your I'm, books still available there's two or three they're books they're still going I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm meant to be bringing out it's been such a slow I'm not that bothered about it but there will be at some point a new and selected 
yeah coming brilliant. out so because i really wanted to just get i think because i've not been writing as many poems because in a lot of ways my talking and my writing my poetry i don't know i, I can't go into this now because we don't have enough time so well, no, go, yeah. go, uh, you know summarize it anyway what you, very you quickly yeah i've come to a mindset about poetry particularly lyricism lyricism is kind of what you find most lyric poems about people's feelings that's lyric literally is the, the something that's told from the vantage point of an eye having a very intense emotional experience yeah and so poems tend to be quite short whatever because these experiences tend to burn out and so i keep an eye out for the lyric impulse the lyric moment and i find that the lyric moment happens in little bursts mm. in everyday life yeah. like everything's just normal and then my most recent version was seeing a seagull the, the sunlight on a seagull when i first put on some glasses walking yeah. out of an optician yeah and seeing that for a moment and there's something about that that set my soul on fire so when i write now and when i make stuff I try to just make normal stuff, normal conventional yeah. stuff, yeah. but I try and leave a little bit of room for the lyric moment yeah, to suddenly yeah. open up and flare up. So I could be in the middle of a podcast, I could be writing a blog, yeah. but all of a sudden that moment of real authentic poetry happens and it maybe only happens for a few sentences or maybe only happens for a minute. Yeah. But the way I create seems to be more about that now rather than just chasing that particular moment of lyricism and putting it front and centre. It's more, I'm just going to write, I'm going to talk, yeah. make podcasts, yeah. write prose poems write blogs whatever and just leave a little bit of room for those little moments of poetry to leak out of me yeah and then and i think again. those are the that's where we connect and that's the things we have in common is that we we have kids of a similar age we have now have glasses mm. and i think i'm the same <laughs> i am look i didn't know that's what the term was called that lyric moment but yeah that is definitely what i'm looking for in in, in the world and mm. uh so yeah beautiful Thanks very much, Nilo Sullivan. Um, You've been listening to Poet Waffle, and we'll see you all again next time. Thank you very much. Poet Waffle was written and presented by Daniel Cockrell. Original concept by Jack White. Music and audio production by Julian Ward. Artwork by Damien Wayhill. And technical support from Laurie Eaves.